This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we've got the chief economist of BCREA, that's the British Columbia Real Estate Association, Brendan Ogmanson. Brendan Ogmanson, past guest fan favorite. You know, me and Brendan are the same age, or is it Brendan and I? I think it's Brendan and I. Yeah, I yeah. feel like his rec, first of all, brilliant guy. Great yeah. having him on the show. Really, really riveting conversation. This uh, is a great, today. yeah, great one. All his reference points, I feel like it's like he he might have grown up in the same household as us. Is it is it obvious that that we're all yeah we're all bunched in around probably within about you know twenty four months of each other yeah but the references are all from it's kind of <laughs> like you know what you know growing up uh, very similar trajectories in terms of arts and culture uh, yeah I feel like if he told me he lived down the street from us uh, and we just didn't know him I'd believe it yeah I think he was uh, we used to tape magazines to his legs and take slap shots <laughs> at him I think we all played street <laughs> hockey together but anyways yeah Brendan Ogmanson, uh brother from another mother on the show today super excited to have him and Matt before we get to the conversation with Brendan a couple things we should talk about next week I'm super excited because we had this past Friday, really a real estate roundtable at Kokomo Studios. We brought in Michael Yu, who's the founder partner of Oakwin Realty. And then a we also cheese. brought in Steve Soretsky, who a lot of our listeners will likely know who Steve Soretsky is. He's got he's, the Soretsky he's big report. On, big on Twitter. He's big on Twitter. He's kind of a talking head. He's big in on real YouTube. Estate. He's also got a podcast. That's called The Looney Hour, which is really popular. It's a Canadian economics podcast. And we've actually been, you know, both Michael and Steve, a lot of people have kind of reached out over the years and said, you should have these guys on the show. And uh, it's good to have Steve on for the first time and Michael on for, I think, the second or third. Second or third. And Michael, we should say, has the Oakland podcast as well. So he's no... uh, Both of them are pretty comfortable on the mics. Yeah. So Uh, it's a lot of fun having them. A lot of fun having them in the studio. That's next week. And I feel like it'll age well. You know, if we we have seven days in between, I think it's going to... I think it will... I think it will be very riveting stuff. Yeah, it'll age better than the four guys in the studio. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, before we uh, before we cut to this conversation, I've got a. I don't know if this story is going to work or not, but it was a it was a funny story to go through. I'm at home, and I I think I mentioned on this show I'm, I've I got permits. I'm I'm now have a foundation a board for my garage, and it's a I'm I'm on a 25 footer lot, so it's a, it's it's a tight lot to do stuff on. So they've got it fenced off from the alley. They've got it fenced off from my house. Getting garbage out is an absolute nightmare. I'm going through down my front steps. And Uh, then around? And around. Oh, it's crazy. (sighs) Yeah. Last night I was like overhead pressing like the garbage container. Like, you know, the thing for for people that don't know your house, I have a lot of stairs up at the front. You literally have probably 25 stairs to your 
front door. Front door. Ah, it's not that many, but it, it there's a lot. 18. Yeah, it's it's in the ballpark of between. And it's steep. And it's, it's pretty steep. steep. Like yeah. I actually avoid your house. Well, the joke, the joke. Well, you come in through the back. It's a flat lot from the back. It's there's steps going up the front. We're high, elevated right. Uh, lot. Right. So the issue is the access from the front. So you almost got to do everything from the back. Now the problem with the garage is, uh, I have to somehow get to the alley. So it's a nightmare. But that's not the story. The story is I'm at my place on Sunday. And I hear this like, I'm like, what's going on? It sounds like, like, yeah, I, it, for some reason, the reference was the people under the stairs, the guy with his tongue cut off. Like, it sounds like a guy screaming outside and I can't, and I'm like, and I'm scared. Like, I'm, it's, it's like starting to remind me of when we found uh, the mask and knife and everything. Well, yeah, okay, so hang on. So, so I hear this like and it's going and it's going and it keeps going and i'm looking outside and then i'm like so then my wife calls up she's like what is that is that like are you okay is everything and we don't know where it's coming from so i'm looking out on the front street i'm looking out on the back and uh i'm i'm looking around and literally i spent like 10 minutes trying to source this and i can hear it and then i'm thinking maybe it's at mclean park like a like a on the other side of the houses right but it's so loud but it sounds close so I keep kind of poking around. So sure enough, I, I go up to the top top of my stairs, and the porta potty on the opposite side of the fence of the, where the construction is, they haven't locked it. My contractor, and there's some guy in there. <laughs> Wait a second! It's, it's outside your lot. It's outside because it's, it's in a the back of lot. So. It's actually on the other side of the fencing because when you're building a garage, they've got it all excavated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no there's no place to put it. Yeah. So it's literally shaking. There's some guy, I don't know what he was doing in there, but he's <laughs> oh my god. Girl. He's like so 15 and, minutes of moaning. Well, it wasn't really moaning. It was like it was it was like unhinged like the 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 yeah, I don't know the level of screams. Did uh, you see him leave? Well, I, so what do you do? I, so, so I'm like, I'm like, but knock on the door. Like I'm next. Like what, yeah. what, what, <laughs> been in there a while, the protocol? <laughs> You've been in there a while. Yeah, okay. Is everything okay? So anyways, I kind of yelled out my window, get out of the porta potty. <laughs> Sounded, sounds threatening. <laughs> Which then all the weird moaning, he just stopped and the guy went, okay, I will. Really? Yeah. Like in like the most normal voice. <laughs> <laughs> just just wow this is the first time i'm telling you this story so yeah uh, okay anyway okay and then and then a guy left and and it was really it was it was like the most uh jarring <laughs> moment but it lock your porta potties contractors yeah, lock your porta potties wow another uh public service announcement here yeah. that's uh <laughs> no that's great the moaning to stops immediately yeah Okay. Okay. I'll be out in a minute. Uh, yeah. All good. Thank you. <laughs> like as if no one could. <laughs> you know, it's made out of like plastic, right? Uh, anyways. Yeah. This is a great show. Brendan Ogmanson. I guess, uh, I guess we better cut to this show. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a good interview. Man, tons of takeaways. I feel like the one thing, just as a final thing about Brendan Ogmanson and what they're doing over at the BCREA, every one of the, like the questions we can come up with, He's like, oh yeah, we've been studying that like in right. detail. He's, it's like they study everything that is of interest to me. You forget that, uh, yeah, I know. 
I know. If we were only bright enough to be economists. <laughs> the, uh, the, <laughs> the thing about what they're working on, too, is it, it's like all the problems that are kind of constantly swirling around in, in the discourse of our market, right? And this is like they, they are working on them and simultaneously working on them. I was thinking his day-to-day must be super interesting, yeah. right? Because it's like if you lose interest in something, you move on to the next fascinating question about the market. Yeah. No, it's it's kind of like this podcast. Never gets old. Uh, Absolutely. That's for sure. So let's cut to our talk with Chief Economist from the BCREA, Brendan Ogmanson. Enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Berquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one-beds to three-beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at marcon.ca slash sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at marcon.ca or follow them at Instagram at marconhomes. Marcon, building for life. Okay, so we're here with Brendan Ogmanson, Chief Economist of BCREA or the British Columbia Real Estate Association. How you doing, Brendan? Good. How are you guys? Good, good. Thanks. We should say past guest fan favorite. Thanks so much, Brendan, for taking the time uh, to come back on the show. You bet. It's always fun. Brendan, can you maybe start, for listeners that haven't heard you on previous episodes, can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I always want to start by saying that I'm I'm a, a street walking cheetah with a heart full of napalm. As a, as a shout out, as a shout out to the Stooges, but I am sadly, sadly just the chief economist for the BC Real Estate Association. We produce you know all kinds of reports and forecasts and report on kind of monthly data for housing markets around BC. When I think of economists, the first thing that comes to mind is the Stooges. Yeah. <laughs> like I actually do most presentations shirtless and I'm shredded. So it, it, there, there are similarities to Iggy Pop, but that's, that's not what I I was going to say, uh, when we were thinking about or getting the five wire questions ready, what's the band that you... Oh, I, yeah. The... Uh, Real Cream. Uh, yeah. I'm blanking on the name of the band. <laughs> Idol. I, yeah. The Idols. Idols. Yeah, that's it. I, uh, I remember. No, I've only well. watched that 600 <laughs> times since the last show. <laughs> So, Brendan, maybe we can start. The stats actually for for April came out this morning. So maybe we'll just ask you, how's the market? It's a really interesting time. I had calls with every board essentially around the province as we do the first of, of every month just to kind of see what's going on. And there's a you know a lot of markets, especially in the lower mainland, saw a pretty big change from March to April. So, you know, a market like the Fraser Valley uh, and Metro and Metro Vancouver as a whole had a really, really strong first quarter. And then April 
it's not like sales, you know, were slow, but they were kind of like just adjusted back to right on long run kind of 10 year average sales for, for the month of April. So it really seems like the market is, is perhaps transitioning right now. We only have one month, so it's kind of hard to tell what the, what the direction is going to be. But there was a really big change in a lot of markets around the province from, uh, from March to April. Can we talk about when you say big change, I guess two things to kind of unpack. Are we talking just sales ratios when we, when we say big change? And then can we talk about which markets are seeing the biggest change, which seem uh, the most resilient? Yeah, so when, when a big change in terms of, of just total sales for the month. And, and some of this has to do with like some markets had really strong marches. And I think some of that had to do with buyers maybe getting ahead of rate increases. So I think uh, uh, March maybe borrowed some demand from, from April. Um, and then April was a little bit lighter. You know, prices are still, you know, growing strong. Listings are up in some markets, uh, active listings. So the Fraser Valley is the one that stands out as, as the biggest change in the last few months. You know, unlike most markets, it's had a pretty significant jump in active listings as, as sales have, have moderated. And I think sales in Fraser Valley were a little below their long run average as well. So going from a really strong March to a slightly below average April in the Fraser Valley, so like Surrey, Langley, Abbotsford, is interesting. Well, it's something we're watching for sure. So, Brendan, would you say is is the writing on the wall that we're entering into a slowdown? I, I think so, and we were expecting this. It's just that we were expecting it to happen more like in in kind of mid summer. So, our thoughts on this year were always we would have a pretty strong first half and through the spring, and the slowdown would start to come in in the summer. And a lot of that was because we only expected gradual rate tightening. Yeah, you know, when we were initially putting our thoughts together last year. And instead, we've had rates, you know, five-year fixed mortgage rates went up 100 basis points since the start of the year uh, and are now above their 2018-2019 peak. And, uh, you know, the Bank of Canada has obviously been a lot more aggressive than anyone thought uh, they would be kind of at the start of the year. So that's really meant that the, the slowdown we were expecting to happen in the second half of the year has arrived uh, a little earlier than we, than we initially thought. Interesting. Uh, you know, just thinking about the stats again that came out this morning, Brendan, just curious on your thoughts, because often, you know, we operate property by property, right? And and we're looking yeah. at recent comparables for any property that we're potentially either going to list or we're, or we're writing an offer on. And often, you know, say six months ago, it's like, okay, the comparables from a month ago are useless now because the market's moving so quickly and it's moving in a direction where, you know, you're going to have to get ahead of the market basically because the prices are rising in a market like this, where it's like the shift, there does seem to be a shift, but it's fairly early days. Are the stats a lagging indicator? Can you talk about how people should be interpreting the stats that just came out? Yeah, they, they are lagging somewhat, especially since, you know, there's always, you know, a bit of a difference in time between, you know, when a deal might close and when it gets recorded in the, in, in MLS. So sometimes, you know, What's happening at the end of April or end of yeah, April, say, might not actually show up until like May stats in some cases. So it is it is a bit of a lagging indicator uh, for sure. Brendan, I had a, a gentleman call me the other day and said, hey, I heard the market has shifted. Let's go find a deal. Yeah, it might be a bit early for that. <laughs> um, so... 
No, this is this is the thing that happens all the times when we're when, we, when the market is at a kind of a, a transition point is that expectations of buyers and sellers start to really diverge, and that's why you know it takes longer for deals to happen. The sellers are still expecting prices maybe that they were were more relevant a few months ago, and buyers sort of update their own expectations almost for like immediately, and that's why you know prices tend to be very sticky because the sellers don't have to sell. You know, they're not super motivated to sell. They can just delist or, or wait. So it takes a while just to match buyers and sellers at, at, when we have kind of at, at inflection points, right? like maybe we're at now. And so you know, we're going to probably see active listings kind of pick up a little bit over the next few months. We're starting from such a low level of listings that when we run our, our models and kind of simulate the impacts of rates, it's going to take a really long time for that change in the market to start being reflected in pricing. So we, we've talked about on the show the concept of price discovery and when a, when a market is, is trying to find its pricing or, or resetting its pricing. Can you talk like when you say it's going to take a long time, are we talking like three months, six months or, or longer? Uh, so when we look at active listings and how long they're going to take to get back to normal, and that's sort of an adjustment both from you know, new listings picking up perhaps, but also just sales slowing down, that in Vancouver, like a year and a half long process. So because we're at such low levels and we're still under 10,000 listings, I think in, in Vancouver, we need to be between like 16,000 and 18,000 just for markets to be kind of in balance and to slow price growth substantially. Uh, so that's a, that's a really far, that's really far away from where we are right now. So even with sales slowing and, and sales are still fairly strong at like, you know, 3,000 a month is, is a pretty good, pretty good pace. So it's just a longer adjustment process. And this happens all the time. So we've looked at past rate tightening cycles over the past 40 years, and you get all types of experience on both the sales and price side. It's not sort of a rates go up, everything else drops immediately. We've had a lot of different outcomes. This time around, you know, if the Bank of Canada is going to raise rates to 2.5%, our model's tend to show that we won't get any real price adjustments probably for, for about 12 months because it's just going to take that long for the, for the listings to really in kind of an imbalance with, uh, with sales. I was, uh, I was at the park yesterday with my daughter and talking to two other agents and it was one agent's position that inventory is still low. And he seemed, uh, you know, talking to two other realtors, fairly bullish still <laughs> for whatever that means. What are your thoughts on inventory right now and just the levels we're at? Yeah, we're, we're still really low. So even though listings have come up, we finished 2021 with only about 15,000 listings, I think it was, for the province as a whole. So we need to be at, for the province, we need to be around forty to 45,000 active listings for markets to be in balance. So if, if sales come down to long run average levels, we need about 45,000 listings. Uh, to keep price growth in line with inflation. So in Vancouver, we're at 9,000. They were finished 2020 around, around 6,000 listings. So even though listings are up a bit, they're still historically really, really low. And that's true across all markets. You know, listings are coming up as sales slow from kind of the record highs we saw last year, but they're still really low. And some markets, they need to triple to get back to normal. So it, it's just a, a longer process. Like we'll, we'll get there. Uh, as sales slow down over the next two years, but it just takes a while. Would you say that the inventory spikes we're seeing, are they a result of 
is it seasonal or is this something that you think is spurred on by by the fact that interest rates are increasing and there is this kind of different sentiment in the market? I think the increases in active listings we're seeing, especially in a place like the Fraser Valley, are all about demand and all about affordability. So a year ago, a year and a half ago, there was a real advantage for young families or, or anyone if that wanted space to move from, from Vancouver to, to parts of the Fraser Valley. It was, it was cheaper uh, and you can get a lot more house for the, for, for the same amount of money. The, the HPI measure of the Fraser Valley, Fraser Valley prices was actually higher than the RevGV price in, uh, in March, which is a weird, you know, even though all the subcategories were still lower, it's a weird composition thing, but prices, even average prices in, in the Fraser Valley board have basically converged to, to the prices in the real estate board of Greater Vancouver area. So it's not really any advantage anymore for moving out from, you know, Burnaby or Coquitlam to, to Surrey or Langley. The prices are basically the same. And I think a lot of those those potential buyers have just been kind of capped out at where where prices are, especially with rates rising. And you have to qualify at 5.8% now on, on the stress test. And that's just taking a lot of demand out of the market. And as a result, we're starting to see uh, active listings start to reverse course. So, Brendan, just thinking about the inventory levels and and what this kind of looks like. So in Vancouver, if I understand, we were at 9,000 for a healthy market, it kind of has to be pretty close to double that. Do I have that right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So if we're over the course of say the next year, you know, assuming demand slows, inventory keeps increasing, this process is is like a year long before we're we're starting to see you know, the, the results of the new environment play out, right? Yeah. Yeah. We've kind of got it, it charted right now and sort of, you know, uh, different, different vectors of how long it might take. We were on like a six year path for a while because active listings were just treading water for so long. Uh, and we've kind of adjusted now to like probably a one and a half years from, from where we are today before we get back to, uh, to a healthy level of, of listings. And so I guess what I'm wondering is healthy level of listings we're looking at mid 2023. What does that mean for pricing? Because I, I think a lot of people are thinking, you know, obviously, hey, it's it's been slow for three weeks. We were revenue, you know, we're heading at 160 kilometers an hour. You know, we're down to 100. Oh my God, there might be deals. Of course, that's a little bit early. But are prices going down over the course of that year and a half? Are we basically steady? What are your thoughts there? We don't tend to see prices declining until we have like way more listings than sales. So if we got to the point where we had 20,000 active listings in Vancouver and sales were really under kind of undershooting, I guess. So right now we think that sales next year will be close to an average year for Vancouver around 30 to 32,000 sales. If we undershoot that substantially, if we, if we look more like 2018, 2019, when Vancouver sales were like 26,000 and we're to have accumulated inventory, that's when you get downward pressure on prices. So in that kind of that 2018, 2019 B20 rising rate scenario, which this could next year's could look a lot like, you know, sales could come down 30 to 35% over two years. And even though you know, that's what happened in 2019, 2019, but prices in Vancouver only fell 6% in 2019. So you can get really big adjustments on the sales side without the same kind of magnitude adjustment on the pricing side. And especially now when we're in the, the listings environment we're in, 
just to get to a, a large imbalance of supply over demand is going to take a long time, even with with demand uh, softening. So, you know, I could see in certain markets and certain product types, maybe pizza trough prices could come down five to ten percent. But over the course of a year, it's going to be hard to see prices coming down like a lot or sustaining those losses over over a longer period. It's just not something we tend to see in Vancouver ever. Like we have year here, year there, where where prices are down, you know, for the year as a whole. Or we have times like, you know, it's foreign buyer's tax when prices might, you know, fell 20% at one point and then completely recovered. So, you know, we, we might see some temporary softness in prices, but I, I don't expect it's something that's going to, going to last. So, Brandon, we've been talking about it on the show as kind of like, we've been calling it froth. It's almost like the when the FOMO leaves the market, you sit down with a seller and they say, well, you know, last or three weeks ago or three months ago, this property got say a million dollars in multiple offer situations. And today you could only probably recreate maybe 950 just because the the multiple offer situations maybe aren't there anymore or that level of uh, emotion or, or fear of missing out kind of disappears. And we're, we're seeing that a lot these days. Is there something that, I, I guess, is there a, a better way to conceive of it when you're running these numbers or can you see that in the stats? Yeah, you know, I think all of that is just a, a function of of how housing markets work. Like we, and this is this is why it's kind of frustrating when we have you know governments wanting to to intervene with how we how transactions occur or or you know with cooling off periods or, or or whatever because markets take care of this themselves. Like we went from a market where we had you know ten buyers for every listing, and now because you know the markets change, rates are rising, a lot of that you know, frenzy around the market is gone and we're back to a much more normal functioning market. You know, so in, in the situation like that where we're where the sales active listings ratio is is coming down from record levels, there's going to be a lot, you know, a lot fewer buyers for every for every listing. And that's going to take the overall kind of frenzy out of the market. That means fewer bids and and less upper pressure on prices, which is just what we see over and over. This is how markets are supposed to work. You know, you, you've talked a little bit about the Fraser Valley and I feel like we've even early on in the pandemic, it was like, wow, you know, out in Abbotsford, Langley, Mission, uh, Maple Ridge, it seemed like, you know, the market was clearly on a crazy tear there. So it doesn't, it seems like the, with the pace that they immediately moved to in early COVID and then sustained, it doesn't seem crazy that, you know, the market kind of shut off as quickly. I'm kind of curious more about the province. So, you know, thinking about the Kelowna's or the islands, which markets do you see as, as kind of being the most impacted by these rising interest rates and which are the most resilient in your mind and and including Vancouver in that conversation, I guess. Yeah, that's a a great question. So my, my sort of initial thinking about it is that the younger your demographic, the more interest rate sensitive the market's going to be. And we, we've seen some of that in the provincial numbers. So I think the Fraser Valley and, and Chilliwack have certainly seen sales fall off the most uh, over the, you know, in, with one one month of data so far, um, because I think those those populations tend to skew younger. Um, and you know, if you're younger and your income's not as, not as high, you can't withstand the, the same kind of uh, uh, interest rate environment as, as someone with a lot of, you know, equity and, and, and higher incomes. Uh, who are kind of at a later stage in their life. So 
those markets and then parts of Vancouver, probably you know, the condo market, although it's still doing all right, I think are probably more interest rate sensitive versus a market like the Kootenai, which is used a little bit older, has a lot of retirees, same with, the, the, uh, with Vancouver Island, Victoria. So like Victoria was just steady all this whole uh, first quarter and had you know, a very average change from, from March to April. It's used a little older as well. I think markets like that are, are probably better able to withstand large changes in interest rates. But you know, when we look at the market as a whole, I think you know, we're, we're still going to see a slowdown. It's just a little bit more, uh, more sensitive in some of those areas. Yeah, and I'd just like to add to that. Most boomers have already shared with us that they can withstand up to 21%. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny when you talk to anyone who was around, I guess, in the 80s, and they're just completely scarred. That 21% uh, mortgage rate has just scarred <laughs> their brains. Like it's like, in, you know, they have this this fear. Whatever you talk to, you know, if you talk to anyone, uh, you know, non non macroeconomists, um, and we're wrong all the time too. But like the idea that rates could just suddenly you wake up tomorrow and they're twenty one percent, like they're like an exogenous process where it's just like some natural disaster where rates are twenty one percent all of a sudden. I don't know. It's funny, but anyway, that that number really sticks out in a lot of people's heads. Like that that did some real damage back in the day. Can we talk about interest rates? What do you? What I mean, I this I guess is yeah. is clearly in your wheelhouse, even though it's kind of the broader. Canadian and global economy, but where do you think we end up here with the with interest rate increases? Right. So, you know, with inflation running at, at multi-decade highs, not a surprise the Bank of Canada is a lot more aggressive than uh, anyone thought they were going to be, say, you know, 12 months ago. You know, a lot of the, the concern with the Bank of Canada is because a lot of what we're seeing on inflation is out of the control of a Canadian central bank. They can't affect global oil prices. They can't get Russia to pull out of, of Ukraine. They can't, you know, so they can't do anything about a lot of the factors that are driving inflation higher. But what they can do is try and get expectations back to normal. So Bank of Canada wants households and businesses and markets to be really well anchored to 2% inflation. And right now, those expectations are running closer to, to 5%. And that really matters for inflation today because you know, if you're a household and, and you're expecting prices are going to rise 5% next year, you might go to your to your boss and ask for a, a, a 5% raise. And then they think, well, if I'm my, if I pay all my staff extra 5% this year, we've got to start raising prices. So expectations can affect prices today. So the Bank of Canada really wants to signal the markets, we're going to be aggressive in tackling this problem. And so now we're getting you know, 50 basis point increases at each meeting. I expect they're going to increase 50 basis points in, in June. And then, you know, we'll eventually, probably faster than we thought, get to what they consider their neutral rate. So macroeconomists have this idea that there's some uh, neutral interest rate at which inflation returns to its 2% target uh, and the economy is sort of back to running at capacity and it's kind of a Goldilocks scenario. They think that rate is 2.5%, roughly between 2 and 3%, the kind of benchmark model that people use to estimate the neutral model would say that for Canada, it's about two and a half percent. And so that's probably where they're going. And if you look at what that means for Canadian mortgage rates, a two and a half percent overnight rate probably means like a four and a half to 4.8 percent five-year fixed rate, which would mean uh, close to seven percent stress test rate. So if those sort of that, if that's where they're going, 
uh, we're headed for kind of uncharted territory, at least for the last you know, decade or so in terms of, of mortgage rates. Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. So one thing we've talked a lot about on this show, Brendan, is, and, and we see in the just operating in the market is, you know, carrying costs matter, obviously more than price in a lot of situations. Like it seems like people are, you know, run their numbers on, this is what it's going to cost to carry this property. And obviously uh, with rock bottom rates for a long time, it's yeah. like, Hey, forget what you're actually paying for it. My monthly carrying costs are actually really attractive. Do you guys think of pricing in those terms? Like for instance, like a direct correlation between, okay, if, if rates go to 4.8%, we can correct X amount. Like, can we, is there some sort of correlation that works between interest rates and carrying costs? And this is the impact on pricing. Is it, does it ever get that simple? And I should just add, like, that was the argument when rates were going down, right? That was, we'll see this percentage in the, in the market to offset that. Exactly. No. So <laughs> I wish Shoot. I mean, <laughs> I was like, well, your whole, your whole education summed up in an online calculator that doesn't work. For you. <laughs> think about what happened with, with B20 when the combination of higher rates and, and, and the stress test in 2018, 2019 meant that your purchasing power fell like 25 to 30%. But prices in BC ended up falling, you know, over two years, actually, probably up. But in 2019, I think we're down 5.8%. So there's no kind of one-for-one correlation on here's what happens to your carrying costs and how much you can now afford in terms of of, uh, purchasing a home. And it doesn't get reflected in the prices. 
it's you know the way the way that we model these things is, is much more kind of you know kind of market model scenario where here's the impact of mortgage rates historically on home sales here's what active listings are and then prices are determined by supply and demand so you know we that that's the way we model these things because that's the way markets tend to work the the sales tax of listings ratio is a really really good guide to year-over-year price changes so that's what we use those other things are really interesting and they're certainly you know if your purchasing power is going to drop a lot and i think with uh with where we're at now that would mean purchasing powers dropped like 20 percent since since rates uh, started rising but yeah, it just doesn't equate to an equivalent change in prices. You know, one thing that, and and you guys just released a really interesting paper, I believe today, mm-hmm. bigger, faster, more affordable, evaluating the impact of supply side policies on the BC housing market. Just before I, I've kind of, this is a, a long-winded way of of getting to the the thrust of of the paper. But one thing that strikes me is new home construction really dropped off, at least it seemed in 2018, 2019, like there was just not necessarily fewer completions, I guess, but fewer starts. It seemed there are fewer presale projects being marketed. And, and now we're in this moment where it feels like, okay, is, are we going back to, to kind of pumping the brakes on, on new home construction? As I understand this paper, the findings are, that's basically the only way out of the housing crisis we find ourselves in. But I'm kind of wondering if you can unpack that uh, the findings of the paper, but B, are you worried that if a slowdown happens and we're talking, you know, it takes 12 months, 18 months for price discovery, that a lot of this new home construction just goes by the wayside until until better times are here again? Yeah, that's the difficult part with with a lot of supply side stuff and why we, we've, we're building a model to really evaluate supply side policy and then we'll, we'll enhance it over the next year for some demand side stuff as well. But the idea, like the why we're, we we started this research was because listings are so low, because it seems to be you know, with, with the way demographics are in BC, and we talked about this last time, we have a lot of 30-year-olds and a lot of like 55-year-olds, and, and that means there's this real friction because 55-year-olds tend to be pretty well-housed and aren't looking to move, and 30-year-olds don't have houses and would like to buy a house, and that means there's just not enough new listings activity happening. And if you're in those situations, especially in, in other markets that don't have a lot of new you know a lot of new listing activity the only way to get out of this is to expand the housing stock so it's one thing to say like yes we need more supply and you know cut the red tape and stuff but what we're trying to really do is put some some quantitative put some numbers around what types of policies might actually work and and how how effective they might they might be so uh, if we could build stuff way faster and get it to market much faster would that affect the resale market and in what way? And I think we found that like a 10% increase in completions leads to about a 2.5% increase in new listings. Well, it's not a huge impact, but it does add to, to resale supply. It can help. And then also on the pricing side, if you have more new listings and you respond, the market will respond faster when we have a surge in demand then you, you won't have the kind of pernicious impact of just higher and higher in prices that kind of, kind of escalate. So the whole point of it's really like, if we can get supply to market way faster, if we can expand choice in the market. So if you are 60 years old and you'd like to move, but there's just nothing suitable for you to move to, but if we can build more housing that's suitable, then we can expand choice and free up some of the existing housing stock. So difficult because as, as you say, you know, uh, uh, when markets start to slow, 
developers get less interested in building perhaps, but um, you know, we try to account for that the model as well, where expectations from the model feedback, price expectations feedback into, into starts. But what we've kind of found is, yeah, if you increase completions and get completions to market much faster and just streamline the whole process, you can mitigate those, those demand shocks. And if we can build a lot more, we can really keep price growth um, kind of contained to around inflation. So I, I think there's skeptical people out there that, you know, and they mainly are on Twitter, <laughs> that would probably argue that anyone building housing or anyone in the real estate industry, for that matter, is not interested in, in, in that. Uh, yeah. what, what are your thoughts to those skeptics? I'm not one of them, by the way. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of myths out there. So you know, the a popular one being that we're we're already building enough. We you know, if you look at population growth and dwelling growth, they're around the same. So clearly, we're building enough supply. You know, always missing the point that a dwelling growth is what drives population growth. You can't move to a city if there's nowhere to live, right? So the, you know, point one, we're not building enough. Uh, we actually need to build a lot more, and then our actual population in cities would grow a lot more because they have a place to go. The second, when you when you bring that up, you're like, well, we're only going to build houses for investors and we're going to keep them empty, which of course also isn't true because you know foreign investment in BC was like 0.3 percent of sales uh, in the last in the last year. When you look at tax data, so speculation tax data from the government, I think about 0.15 percent or so of units in BC are, are held by foreign investors and vacant. So clearly not a huge impact and, and, and just so on and so on. So like, there's all these reasons why we, we keep saying uh, that, you know, there's no point in building new supply. And I think we kind of argue, well, we've done all of these things for the demand side over the past decade. I think over a dozen different policies designed to dampening demand. And the result has been the average price in BC is now over a million dollars. So, so clearly there's some other things we need to be doing. And why don't we just try? Like, this is the one thing we haven't tried is, is really increasing supply. Uh, let's see if it works. The worst thing that can happen is that we have too much supply, right? And, 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 uh, and uh, people will have homes to move into. So it's always a frustrating thing, which is why we, we tend to, these arguments, especially in social media, get very hand wavy. We always try and put some numbers and put some, some reasoned thinking into, into this problem. And if someone wants to build their own model and show that we're wrong, go ahead. But I think, you know, unless you have a good counterfactual, then you're just, you're just kind of talking. One thing that struck me, and it was on page one of, of the, the report, but this idea that demand shocks and interest rates are the most important drivers, and you've kind of detailed that over the last four decades or 40 years, and interest rates are entirely outside of the control of anybody locally, right? And demand shocks, I think, as well, seem to, to come. But supply is something we can actually control. Right. So especially at the, at the provincial and municipal level, we have no ability really to affect, certainly not interest rates, and really very little impact on demand long term, too. You know, we're heading into a decade right now where if you look at uh, population projections, I think we'll have the highest level of people in the 30 to 39 age group that we've had since like the early 70s or you know since going back to the 70s anyway. So we have more people who need who are in a demographic where they're going to need housing than we ever have, you know, in the past 40 years, 50 years. 
that's a demand driver, right? And that's not something that we can change. Uh, and then we're also susceptible to all kinds of demand shocks that we've certainly witnessed over the past couple of years. We've had unpredictable demand shocks. We can't do anything about those, nor nor should we in most cases, because you know, positive demand shock is you know, means incomes are rising, employment's rising. Those are good things. Mm-hmm. What we have some control over is is supply policy, getting approvals done faster, allowing people to to build more units in, in areas that are zoned for for single family homes. Those kinds of things. We might be able to actually do something about. So it's like, you know, we, if you've ever had a terrible corporate job where they tell you to set smart goals, and I think the A stands for achievable or something, uh, you know, set, set smart goals. Like you can't control all this other stuff. Concentrate on the stuff you can actually control. Maybe as a final question, Brendan, you know, you often hear the, the five-year number kind of thrown out as a magic number for if, if someone is planning on buying based on their goals, if they're going to be there five years, usually they'll be you know, in a good position when they're, when they're going to be selling. What about in like the one to three years in thinking about your predictions for where the market goes? Yeah. I mean, we're always thinking about five years because five years is kind of enough to smooth out any business cycle disruptions that we, we might see. So like this is a really good window right now where if we look at like a, like right now, things are actually pretty good. The economy is growing in DC, growing like at a 4% rate, unemployment's low, inflation's really high. That's not so great. Um, but overall, like we have, you know, households have have a ton of uh, of savings accumulated over the past two years, so things look pretty good from a contemporary kind of perspective. But we can see kind of a slowdown on the horizon. So over the next one to two years, uh, we could definitely see a slowdown. And you know, newspapers are full of autonomous predicting recessions in 2003 or 2023 or 2024. So over that three year period, we can see a lot of disruption. But I think, you know, that also means that in 2024, rates will start coming down, you know, if we are indeed slowing down substantially in the economy. And then we have a new cycle that starts. And, you know, so over that five-year window, maybe you have some ups and downs in two of the five years, but we end up in a better place five years from now. So long way of, I'm not sure answering answering your question, but, you know, in a five-year window, you're going to have a lot of, you know, business cycle ups and downs. But if you average out over that period, uh, most of the time, you end up in a much better place. And uh, this might be too precise of a question, but if we were going to say pricing a year out from now, three years from now, and five years from now, do you have do you have those numbers? Have you guys kind of modeled with, out with any confidence? Are you are no, you going to add Grandview Woodlands to yes. that too, Matt? <laughs> Specifically, do you go yeah. block block by block, yeah. Brendan? Well, yeah. Um, so I give you guys a heat map of exactly how <laughs> You know, right now, I think everything is determined by interest rates. So what we, instead of point forecast, we always like to provide like, well, if, if rates end up here, here's what's going to happen to prices. And we did that over about a three-year window. So I think if the Bank of Canada is has to get even more aggressive and, and overshoot its, what, what it calls its neutral rate of 2.5%. So if a, if a year from now, the Bank of Canada is, is talking about raising rates to above 3% because inflation is still really high, and expectations of inflation are still really, really high. Then I think we could see, you know, prices down kind of five to ten percent in that kind of kind of scenario. That's you know, where our, our models tell us might happen. And then with a you know real elevated risk of, of falling a bit further in the out years, it really depends what Bank of Canada does. Our kind of baseline is is that prices really just flatten out over the next two years. 
uh, and you know maybe come down one or two percent. But you know that's a big adjustment from what we're seeing today, where even with like a, there seems to be a lot of pessimism at a time when prices are still rising at a pretty significant rate in a lot of markets around BC. You know, we saw you know in the HPI numbers, I think a lot of markets still like one to two percent growth on a monthly basis, but a 25% annual rate. So slowing down from you know 20 to 25% a year growth to like 1% or flat is, is a pretty major adjustment. Uh, and that's going to take some time. That's kind of what we expect over the next you know, 12, 18 months. So it sounds like people that have bought in the last 18 months or so will still be in a, a decent position in most, in most sub-markets in uh, the lower mainland if that happens. Yeah, and again, that that five year kind of thing where you know you're you're you've put down a significant down payment and you're paying into that principal every month, so your principal is growing with your your payments, and so you can withstand or you can absorb the ups and downs over over a short term period. Fantastic. Well, uh, we do have the five wire five quick questions to end the show, Brendan. I think you're familiar with. Uh, do you have time to stick around for that? Always. It's the only reason I say yes. (laughs) The Five Wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey, that sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the lower mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. So question number one, what have you been binge watching lately or a movie recommendation? So I watch a fair amount of TV. I think there's, you know, there's this whole genre that popped up over the last year of, of just terrible tech people. So the dropout about, uh, about Theranos is really, really good. So it was We Crashed about... about uh, oh, we were, yeah. I'm about five episodes into that. that I, it's it's so, great. It, it's so good. And then Super Pumped about Uber is also really good. So those three, I think, were, were excellent. And then I'm watching Winning Time, the story of the Ames Lakers, which is, is pretty fascinating. And also, Better Call Saul just started again, so that that's been great. What was and, the uh, second really last liked, uh, one? The, the Lakers. Oh, yeah. Oh, winning, winning time on HBO about the Lakers in the 1980s. Oh wow, that sounds it's incredible. Fascinating. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, on that yeah, tonight. It's great. It's great. <laughs> oh man, we should. Got, 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 yeah. You're a great guest, Brendan, but I feel like the just music a, and the... Just get like a media WhatsApp thread going here. I think even your book recommendation <laughs> was great last time. One song on repeat. We already referenced last time's uh, song, but uh, what are you listening yeah. to these days? All right, so two things. There's this criminally underrated Welsh punk band from the early 2000s called McCluskey. And this is the 20th anniversary of their album, McCluskey Do Dallas. And it's phenomenal. So I've been listening to that a lot because they're actually touring uh, that record, the 20th anniversary tour, and they're coming to Vancouver in September. And I've got tickets, so I'm excited about that. I've been listening to that a lot. And if you're feeling really terrible about the state of the world, sometimes I listen to uh, The National, not in Kansas, on repeat, because uh, it's, it's just the best summary of the absolute hellscape that the United States has become over the past five years or so. <laughs> One book recommendation. Um, I am working my way through a history of macroeconomics from Keynes to Lucas, which is a bit of a slog, so I'm not making great progress. But 
I'm going on vacation soon and I'm going to start Chuck Klosterman's book uh, about the 90s, which I'm very excited about. If you like Chuck Klosterman, he's sort of an essayist and, and uh, uh, Gen X Gen X icon. So I'm very, very interested to crack that one open. I think it'll be more interesting than a, than a history of macroeconomics. Just curious, uh, Brendan, what, what's your take on, on Ray Dalio? Or do you read him? Or are you uh, enamored by I, him like most no, other people? I, I think there's a, there's a certain like group of, of people who really, I don't know, like non-economists usually get really into rich dudes that have like a theory of the universe. <laughs> I guess. And I would put Ray Dalio into rich dude who has a theory of the universe. Maybe it's right. I'm just not, not super interested. So that went um, in such yeah. a different direction than I, no, I thought. No, it was really? That's exactly, <laughs> I thought you were gonna exactly the take that I thought you'd have. I thought, well, no, no, not his take. I thought the question was going to be, what's your take on 90s punk rock? Specifically the Fed Records <laughs> yeah, movement. Way more takes on oh, yeah, SoCal. Yeah. What was your thought on that? <laughs> Operation uh, Ivy. <laughs> <laughs> One habit, practice, or belief that you've taken uh, on lately that has had a positive impact on your life? So if, lately, if they can expand like the, that to like five years, five to seven years, I got really into powerlifting like five years ago. So I try, and, I try and make time three to four times a week to lift really heavy things and then put them back down, which is sort of an inherently useless thing to do. But I do find like it's uh, somewhat cathartic. You know, it's that or listening to, to the national on repeat. <laughs> Hopefully not the national while powerlifting. Yeah. <laughs> I, no. The, <laughs> the powerlifting, does it actually, does it impact, like, because I a lot of guys are into power, well, a lot of people are into powerlifting right now. And sure. obviously you see a lot of uh, uh, like the deadlift and, and squats and all that sort of thing. Is it a huge impact just on your overall physique or health, do you find? That's the worst thing about powerlifting is that <laughs> most people who are into powerlifting don't really look like they lift weights at all. <laughs> but they're very, very they're strong. Like really, they're like really big or like just surprisingly strong for how small they look. But it's not like body. It's not like bodybuilding where like you just you get really big. You know, obviously you get kind of bulky, but it's not like yeah, you're not you're not uh, you're not like beach ready. Let's say for most for most powerlifters, uh, it's it's low it's low volume high weight. So it's, you know, again, it's kind of inherently pointless, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's better because it's not so tedious. You'll have a goal of like, I'm going to lift this weight and try and lift heavier weights rather than just like a vanity project. What does that actually look like? Do you do like, you do like a, a practice runs and then you just try and push your heaviest weight? Is that the, like, is that what a day at the yeah, gym looks like? You just get like on it. So my, my gym is in my basement because I don't like other people, especially being around other people. <laughs> um, and, and so I've got a great setup. I've got a, you know, a TV. This is how I watch so much television. I've got a TV with a Roku and I can just throw on some TV. And you know, we, people do it different ways, but different, different programs. We have like a five, six, eight week, whatever peaking program. You work your way up and try and hit some max weight, try and increase your PR. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the usual. Yeah, that's it's fantastic. not fascinating at all. <laughs> the, 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 the best thing I've, I've, I've managed to have this. The only reason most people ever bring up powerlifting is to tell you how much how much weight they can lift, but I haven't done that, so I feel proud of myself. 
So what can you deadlift? Uh, so uh, uh, last question, something that you've purchased for under $1,500 that's had a positive impact on your life. So along with the, this goes with the power lifting, a massage gun. I'm 42. So lifting is sometimes hurts, especially the next day. So I found that the, the massage gun really helps, especially my shoulders. So that's been fantastic. That's actually had the biggest impact on my life in the past few months because I can uh, be somewhat pain-free on my, on my right shoulder. This is, uh, so I think Theragun that we've, so I just, I bought one yesterday. I haven't got it yet, mm. but it's a mother's day gift, but luckily my wife, uh, there's no chance she's hearing this. <laughs> <laughs> so I can say what I bought her. Uh, but that's a, uh, yeah, that's good news. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's excellent. So yeah, I definitely, definitely recommend it. Oh man. All right. Well, that was fantastic. So, so Brandon, how can people find out more about what you're up to and uh, the reports that you guys are publishing at uh, BCREA? Yeah, I think that the best way we tend to put up our stuff on social media. I'm not on any social media. It's a, it's an absolute uh, carnival of insanity. So <laughs> I, uh, uh, but our BCRA has a, a social media account, Twitter and whatever. So you can find uh, us there and they'll usually post our reports or you can just go right to our website at bcra.bc.ca and, and we have all of our stuff up there. You can sign up for, for all of our different publications. We have some interesting stuff there. Uh, we do like a, you know, we have a monthly tracker for how the economy in BC is doing that was shockingly accurate last year. I think it it showed that the economy grew 6.3% and the actual number was 6.2. So wow. um, if you're if you're really interested in how the BC economy is doing, uh, how it's growing, uh, we pu- we publish that every month and you know, it's usually pretty accurate. So it's uh, if you're if you're into that kind of thing, check that out. That's incredible. Right on. Well, thanks, uh, Brendan, again for your time. And uh, hopefully we can have you back again soon. Uh, hopefully you can find the time. But uh, thanks so much. That was a great conversation. No, no problem. Next time we'll do the full hour on, on television and, and punk rock. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. There you have it, folks, our discussion with Chief Economist from the BCREA, Brendan Ogmanson. Really enjoyed that chat with uh, Brendan Ogmanson. Always great having him on the show and glad to hear he enjoys the five wire because that, that's an exciting segment to get to with Brendan every time we have him on. So You know what? I've been thinking a lot about his Ray Dalio comment. I think he kind of captured it. And this is not necessarily the way I think about Ray Dalio, but it's a great way to frame it. You know, I'm kind of yeah. I'm not super interested in ultra rich guys that have a grand theory of the world right? <laughs> or whatever, however yeah. you put it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, what else do we got before we cut for the day? A couple things uh, I'll just quickly mention. One is we just released an episode with the mayor of Victoria on the Vancouver commercial real estate podcast right. with Corey Wright. Really, really great episode. Corey has done his rounds with all the mayors in the, in the province, really. <laughs> so if, if you haven't been on the show and you're a mayor, Watch out. You'll be getting the email soon. Uh, you should almost take it, take offense. Yeah, or take offense. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was a great conversation. A lot of pro-development coming out of that conversation. And just how the uh, the city is harnessing the development community to expand and grow the, this, the future of the city. So really, really fascinating conversation. I think a lot of takeaways on that. So go check that out if you haven't already. The other thing, just to recap, next week, We've got Michael Yu in the studio with Steve Soretsky 
kind of a real estate roundtable. Super exciting. It was a great, actually, Friday afternoon that we had them uh, on bad. the show. Not bad. A pretty good way to spend uh, spend an afternoon. It was a beautiful day as well. So uh, One of the few. Yeah. One of the few that we've I, had exactly. uh, in the last nine months. So, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And Matt, what do we have at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com? What do we have at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com? Well, this is, of course, our website for all things real estate related. We have the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. We have the Livewire. This is our weekly mailer. There's no reason why you shouldn't be on the Livewire. You get stats before anyone else, different types of stats, deal of the month, VIP access to presale projects. I mean, I, I'm trying to think. Other things. There's other things. You, yeah. you should be. You should be on it. We also have, of course, private client services. And Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You get realtor-level information for free. It's available at your fingertips at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We've had a few people reach out about the super tips for renovating, and a lot of people have I actually, actually think said, we buried we buried the the lead in that title a little bit. Well, you know, the reason is, generally speaking, this has been the overwhelming conversation around it, but a lot of people saying, these are great tips just for investors, right? Yeah. And I think that's uh, that's probably what we should have called that episode because it's really not just for renovators. It's for people looking how, it's really how to find a deal yeah. in a, any market. So if you haven't listened to that and if the title pushed you away... Go back and check it out. It's two episodes ago. I was going to say, if you if you thought it was strictly about just renovating a property. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's, it's, it's so, so much, much more. more. So much more. So much oh, more. Wow. Anyways, what else do we got, Matt? Well, how can people get in touch with you? You can get in touch with me at any point, 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also got that Kokomo line, info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Yeah, and we'll be back next week. Great show coming. And uh, man, the weather. Talk about I know. garbage, eh? I, I feel this, like this we is should, crazy. I don't want to I don't want to dampen the show here. Let's uh too late. Let's let's pretend like well, no, it's not gonna be better on when this comes out, it's gonna be worse, I think. Yeah. Anyways, get through it, guys. Summer's coming. Yeah. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. 